0: We need sound, please.
1: And awesome animation by Lorena Bull. The VAK Learning Styles uses the three main sensory receivers, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, which refers to movement or doing. Although technically part of kinesthetic, T is sometimes added for tactile or touch. Visual learners come in two types. One type refers learning through written language, so they do best with reading and writing tasks. For example, they need to write down directions when they're going somewhere unfamiliar. The other type of visual learners don't do as well with written language, preferring other types of visuals like demonstrations, charts, and videos. They're able to visualize where they're going, so they don't need to write directions. Auditory learners prefer discussions or recordings they can listen to as they may struggle with reading and writing. They may read aloud and talk to themselves. Kinesthetic learners prefer to learn through movement and touch because they need external simulation to keep them concentrated. Their note-taking strategies often include doodling, diagrams, and the use of highlighter markers. While learners use all three learning styles to receive and learn new information, one or two of these styles is usually dominant. But this could change depending on the task, say, preferring a combination of styles for one task and a different style for another. Our learning style is often forced upon us through life like this. From kindergarten through third grade, new information is presented kinesthetically. Grades 4 to 8 are visually presented, while grade 9 through college and beyond is primarily auditory through lectures. According to VAK theorists, information should be presented using all three styles to allow all learners the opportunity to become engaged. So, how do you learn best? Go to the link below to take the VAK learning style survey.
0: So in showing that video, I hope that maybe you recognize that you have a learning style. And sometimes as teachers, we tend to teach to our learning style, and we don't recognize that there's people learn from a variety of different ways. And I've noticed in Pentecostal circles, we have fallen back on the you sit and I teach method, and that's not very effective for kids, right? And in all honesty, it's not very effective for adults. That it's, Adults do better when you get them involved in the lesson. So uh, in evaluating your teaching style, um, it's important to recognize that you vary your methods. Sometimes as teachers, we get one method and our, our, this is what I do, I do puppets. And puppets are good for some. But some require a craft and activity. They require play-doh, They require getting involved. And others require sound and auditory and discussion. So it's good to, to as a teacher, to constantly assess, am I, am I changing my method up to reach all of the different learning styles? Now, a couple weeks ago, a friend showed me this incredible website. Can you guys, I don't know, can you guys see what's up here? This is an, it's, it's a website online where there's a man named Reverend Norman Burns who finds all of these apostolic albums at Goodwill and then he, he puts them on this website so you can download them. So you can have, you have early Mickey Mangan, you have Merle Ewing, you have all these incredible artists from the sixties, seventies, and eighties. So it's called uh, Rev Norman Burns Presents. And so while I was there, a friend of mine, the reason why they showed me this incredible website is I did not know that in the 70s, Word of Flame and PPH put out a children's album. Did you guys know that? So, So I found it on here and I downloaded it.
2: We're so glad you came to Sunday school.
0: Does anybody know who that is on the we'll album cover? Hand, I don't.
2: Head, so glad Anyone? Does anybody remember this song?
0: We're so glad you yes? came to Sunday
2: school. We're so glad you came to Sunday school. We'll shake your hand and nod our head. Say hello to you. We're so glad you came to Sunday
0: Now when I heard this one, I thought we may have a lawsuit against Barney. Get ready. Do you know it?
2: Pick up, clean up, put your toys away. You be happy if you work and play. Pick up, clean up, put your toys away. You be happy if you work and play. Pick
0: up. I don't want that stuck in your head all day. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but, um, so. When was that album made? 70s. I don't know exactly the date. I can probably find out. But what's incredible to me is I could probably play that song today in the toddler class and they'd still like it. Right? So in a way, that's a timeless classic. Now, if I played it in the kindergarten class, how would they feel about it? Yeah. How about the beginner class, first and second grade? No. How about the adult class. Ah, oh, nostalgia comes back then, right? But I say that to say we we know this without knowing it that there are there's a pedagogical pedagogical is a big fancy word for a, it's a teaching term. It but a pedagogical ladder meaning that you start at the bottom of the ladder and you climb the rungs. And so sometimes when you're teaching somebody and we're teaching up here but if they're down here, they're not going to understand you, on the other hand. If you're teaching down here and they're up here, they're bored with you, right? So as a teacher, we have to, we have to understand who our students are. How do we figure out where our students are at on the ladder? I'm asking. Okay, They have to walk around. Okay? So sometimes when, as teachers, we don't, want, we don't let them talk much. And if you don't let your students talk much, then you can't really assess where they're at. You can a little bit by watching their body language and that. But as Pentecostals, sometimes we have this classroom mentality. Now, in the public schools, this is different. See, in public schools, you have an agenda, and you have to cover it, and it doesn't matter if one child's getting left behind to some extent, because you have to cover this particular lesson today, but in, in church, it's a little bit different, right? What is our goal as Sunday school teachers? Is every time a child comes into your classroom, to move them up to the next rung, and let every child be spoken to. That is your goal. So, it's not necessarily about the lesson. The lesson isn't the lesson. The lesson is understanding where your students are at and just taking them to the next level of understanding as teachers. And then, when you've had a student for a couple of years, you can watch their growth. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. So, I say that to say, as teachers, teaching is a supernatural experience. What are some of the gifts of the Spirit that help us as teachers? Again, I'm asking. What are the gifts of the Spirit that help us as teachers? Patience, okay. Discernment. Long-suffering, okay. Those are more fruits of the Spirit. What about gifts of the Spirit? Let's think about gifts. Knowledge, Knowledge, discernment. Wisdom. What's that? Faith. Faith. I say that because we don't really go in sometimes trying to discern what's going on in the, in the kids' lives, you know, but when you walk in the spirit, I, I mean, it's scary to walk in the spirit sometimes, because sometimes you'll be talking to somebody, even here today, and God will tell you a little something about what's going on in their life, and you're like, oh man, that's horrible, and your, your heart breaks for them, right, So we almost like to go, I don't really want to know what's going on at home with this kid because it breaks my heart. And I'm a mandatory reporter, so now I have to report what's going on. Oh, man. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to report what's going on at a kid's house? It's horrifying, right? But we don't recognize it's the best thing that can happen for that kid. Okay? So I say that to say, this isn't in my notes, but I... (laughs) When... You come across a situation where a child is being abused. The best thing you can do for that child is report it. Talk with your pastor and get that kid to safety. As teachers, that's our job. That's what God has appointed us to do. Now, because you're a reporter, it's not you that's It's You're required to do that. So, make that so there, and don't do it without your pastor's knowledge, but talk to your pastor and find the best way to go about this. But just telling a kid, just sweeping it under the rug and letting the kid, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out over time, it doesn't always work out that way. Praise God. We are the protectors of these children. So, back to point here the pedagogical ladder. You don't teach a first grader what you teach a kindergartner, what you teach a toddler. There's a difference between what kids are available. And if you go to your notes, each of you is a teacher of an age. Some of you are a teacher above this age. But you have these things called scaffolds in the educational world. It says in education, scaffolding refers to a variety of instructional techniques used to move students progressively towards stronger understanding and ultimately greater independence in the learning progress. And so what happens, and like I said, is you recognize that you where your toddlers are at. You should have an, an overall overarching goal in your toddler class. And that is to have a basic understanding of, of Bible stories and to bring them to. But then if you walk up the ladder here to scaffold two, the kindergarten class, now toddlers... A lot of people, they go, how do I teach my toddlers? How do, I can't get my toddlers to, to sit and listen to me teach. I've had, had that said before. Jessica, what's your answer to that? Yeah, kids have to play. So when you're telling a Bible story, you let them tell the Bible story with the blocks, with the Noah's Ark, with everything. They have to play through it. They have to play with you in order to hear your story. If you're going to make them sit, then they're being obedient. They're sitting, but they're not listening. So with a toddler, they have to play. It's a requirement. It's a requirement. If you want the kids to learn your lesson, you have to figure out how to get them to play through the lesson. Now, for kindergarten, there's a change. And how many of you loved, my son just got into kindergarten. And praise God, he can actually start sitting through service because kindergarten teaches him how to do that. But there's a transition in kindergarten, right, where they go from that playing all the time to this active play and there's a little bit of learning that goes with it because that's what happens in kindergarten and then there's a transition that next scaffold and you you can go along in your notes I don't want to go over everything in that because if you're a toddler teacher you don't really care about scaffold five so much but but the notes are there for you to go through and figure out what should my age be accomplishing and as a teacher to be intentional about that And so, as a first grader, these are the things that you should be focusing on as a first grade teacher. And then second grade, third grade. And you should be intentional. You should know what your kids are capable of. But we can't expect kindergartners to sit and listen to a sermon. And so, I mean, there's people that are, they they get mad at at, at my church, my home church, uh, New Life St. Louis. They have a Sunday called Family Sunday. It's the first Sunday of every month. And it's when I had a, a three-year-old, I hated that service because it meant that I had a three-year-old in service sitting with me that didn't want to be there. And they would be, well, you should just teach him to sit still. It's like, three-year-olds don't do that. <laughs> and so it was just basically they might as well just said, this is the service where Brother Anderson's going to be out in the lobby with his son. <laughs> and I tried to say, you, for, for a young single mother, you are, they don't want to be there on that Sunday you have to have childcare for the for, on the form below because that's what kids do i say that to say as a wise knowledgeable discerning supernatural teacher you have to recognize how every every time you get with your kids what is the best way to teach them And take them up to just one step up. Sometimes two steps. Sometimes three steps. But either way, you're going to watch the progress as you interact one-on-one. There was uh, somebody that came to me and they were, they didn't have a children's ministry because they only had one student. They said, so we just have them sit in class or we have them sit in service because there's only one. Wait a minute. You have a student. You have a person that you can pour into one-on-one. That's an incredible opportunity, right? Don't punish that kid for being the only one, but turn that kid into something incredible. What an opportunity is the way I see that. And then that's going to be, when I was in Collinsville, Illinois, does anybody know who Charlie O'Rourke is? He's an evangelist. If you want to make your church go crazy, invite Charlie O'Rourke to come in. Because what Charlie O'Rourke does is he goes into low-income housing where most of the people don't have cars, and vehicles, and he goes door to door, and he they open the door, and he prays with them, they feel the Holy Ghost, and he says, hey, do you have a way to get to church? They say, no, if we come and pick you up, can you come? And they're, oh, yeah. So I took over as the children's pastor at the time, and at the time when I said, yes, there were five kids, but that weekend, Charlie O'Rourke came in, and the, my ministry that I, that I accepted with five kids turned into a 63-child ministry overnight. And it, it tore my hair out, but it was wonderful, right? And, and uh, 50% of them were Latino illegal immigrants. Uh, my wife is Latino, so that, that worked to my advantage. But I say that to say, just God does incredible things if you let him. Now, m- what the, my church wanted to do is go, man, that is too many kids. This place is out of control. And it was. The first couple of weeks, we were not ready for that. I mean, they kept pulling up the vans and all these little bambinos were running around and going crazy, and, I, and I, what do I do? Oh my goodness, I was expecting five kids, and I had 63. VBS had 110. I, I had 25 meals prepared. It was, I say that to say, God can do, if we let him. I, so I had to adjust my mentality and go, instead of trying to control this, I had to figure out how to meet the need that God had done. God can do that overnight in your ministry, if you let him. Or you could say, God, I'm not ready for that. Then, okay, you won't get the blessing. But we do you want that blessing? Praise God. So we have this ladder. And then one of the things that we were talking about when we were preparing for this meeting, Rachel and I, is we were talking about there's this awkward transition to the youth. Right? So... How many of you here today are the teachers of kids sixth grade and below? Raise your hand, please. So, what we're going to do here is we have this wonderful young man, Nathan Miller, who you know well, but he is going to talk about that transition. What can you do as teachers to prepare your kids to be received amongst the youth group? So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nathan Miller.
3: So that was the question that I was going to, uh, to ask, how many, just, just for my head knowledge again so I can see you, how many have kids, let me, let me change it a little bit, how many are parents of kids that are moving into the youth group, raise your hand, parents of kids moving into the youth group, okay, so we've got a couple, all right, uh, how many in your church you have that happening right now, you've got a transition between kids moving into the youth group presently right now. I know we have two <clears throat> that works. Okay, there's a few. All right, so there's, there's a lot of things that happen um, during this time period between the moment that kids go from being in sixth grade to the moment that they enter the youth group. There's a lot of stuff that happens, and a lot of it can be kind of scary. How many know that's true? I'm not talking about the kids. I'm talking about the parents. <laughs> right? Right? I'm talking about the parents. Your baby is getting to the point where they're no longer a baby anymore. Uh, They're starting in this youth class and everybody knows that that's the, that's the step right before adult class. And in their mind, they think they're 25 years old, right? I just entered the youth class. I'm boss because I'm, I'm just that cool. It's hilarious because we, we have that brother, brother Brian Hairston is our, is our youth pastor. And, uh, We've got that going on right now. We've got a young man that's entering our youth class, and I mean, he could not wait to tell me. It was a countdown, right, Brian? It was a countdown. I am going to be eligible for youth class, Brother Nathan, in a matter of a couple of weeks. Whereas before, he's like, hey, Brother Nathan, how are you? Now it's, Brother Nathan, I am available for youth class in a matter of a couple of weeks. I can preach if you would like me to. Right? I mean, because there is this anticipation that they're moving in, as the brother was saying, there's, a, there's an anticipation they're moving in to a completely different ballpark. Uh, in their mind, I'm going to be taken a little bit more seriously now. Now I'm going to have a little bit more responsibility and opinion. And so it's a huge step, but it's also a huge step for the parent. As a parent, what do you do? Before you had these kids... That they would go to class, and I don't know about you, but we have an amazing group of Sunday school teachers. I mean, they, they handled it. So parents would come in, they would bring their kids, they would give their kids to the Sunday school teacher. And now, all of a the sudden, there's responsibilities. I don't know about you, but in our youth ministry, you, you're responsible for things. Now you're starting to be equipped with ministry opportunities and various things that force you into taking on a more important role. That's scary. As a, as, a, uh, as a parent, that, that's got to be scary for you. I don't know. I'm not looking forward to it myself, but I've seen and heard from you. That seems to be the case. And how about that youth pastor? You think you're the only one, that youth pastor, I'm going to talk about Brother Brian here. Brother Brian and Sister Brittany, they're, they're perfect, so this doesn't apply to them. But just when that youth pastor thinks they've got that all covered, right? They've got the, they, the dynamics are set. They flow really well. They know how to teach. They know how to do all of those different things. What happens? You and your child show up. Because it's a dual thing. You and the child show up. And you throw that chemistry out of balance. And that's not a bad thing, but it is different. Because as that youth pastor got used to that particular group and teaching that group, you change things. Your child changed things and the chemistry of it. And so today we're going to be talking about what that transition is like. And we're going to be talking about what it means for you as a parent, perhaps as a youth pastor, perhaps as a teacher, and perhaps you're here today as a pastor. What is your involvement and your help in doing those things? I will say this is, this is going to be a class where we're involved together. So the faster that you answer and the faster you help me engage in dialogue, the quicker I sit down. And isn't that what we're all looking forward to? Moving children into the youth is a huge step. And I, I want to start off by saying this. I want to pair with what you were saying. For, for those of you who don't know, uh, I, have, I do have the privilege to sit on the Pentecostal Heritage Society and had a meeting recently in which Brother Bernard was, was talking about our heritage. Next year is our 75th year anniversary. I'm so excited for that. And Brother Bernard said something that was really f- profound and amazing. He said, I'm very grateful for where we've come from but I'm really excited to where we're going. And so the vision of the United Pentecostal Church is not where we've come from, though we appreciate it. It's where we're going. And children absolutely are the foundation to that. You as a pastor, you as a teacher, one of the first things that we have to realize is you hold a dear treasure for your future. Our children are the future, the present and future, of our church. I want that to sink in for a moment because as you said earlier, sometimes we don't treat it that way. Sometimes it's let me throw a warm body into the mix and see if we can teach. What you hold in your hand is absolutely a piece of the future of your church. Can I get an amen? Amen. Folks, Children today are exposed to things that you could not and would not believe. Mom is a counselor. I I also was at UGST, got a little bit of the counseling training. Statistics are it would depress you to look and see what children are exposed to today before they reach the age of teenager. So what I'm impressing to you today is I don't, As a youth president, as Brother Brian, a youth pastor, we're not wanting to get youth that are already being slammed with all of this stuff and that we have to start from the beginning. What we're hoping is there is a children's ministry so powerful, teachers so passionate and committed that when they're in that place, they're being introduced to ministry. When they're in that place, they're being taught the responsibility of the church belongs to them. When I was, and it it could be, folks, forgive me. Maybe I just have a home mission, home missionary mindset. But when Brian and I were eight, nine years old, we were ushering. They're not too young to be involved in ministry in your church. And so, understanding that, yes, there is a transition between them being a child into a young person. But the understanding that this church belongs to me, I am the body of Christ, and I am responsible for its success, that starts with you as a teacher, and that starts with you as a pastor, that starts with you as a parent. This is your church. You are a part of it, and the responsibility of it lies with you. Can I get an amen? So when they graduate up to the youth department, that isn't when we should be saying, oh, let's give you a job. Let's give you, as a children's ministry, get them involved with ushering. In in our church right now, I'm not saying we're perfect and we do it well. You look at me and you quickly come to the understanding it's not perfect. Right? But we have right now, we have two ushers. They started getting their grandchildren to come with them as they're they're showing them how to usher. They're showing how to greet people as they walk in the door. Exampling for them what ministry is and its effect on people that are coming in. Are you doing that in your church? Are you taking children that are getting a little bit older and can shadow you, are you taking them and saying, this is what ministry is like. This is why it's important, and there is a place for you. Because if you don't, by the time they get to teenage years, the world will have found a place for them. Children today are, like I said earlier, exposed to more than you could ever imagine. I have young people in my office, they were exposed to pornography at the age of seven, eight years old. They have seen and witnessed things that are truly horrific beyond your wildest imagination and are looking for the church to give them purpose and meaning. It starts with them. Don't wait until they get to be a young person and then plug them in. I'm stressing this to you over and over because the leadership of my church right now, the associate pastor, the youth pastor, our music leaders, all of them started when they were children, not young people. If you want a thriving church, if you want a church that is Holy Ghost filled and a church that is able and willing to step out and have this revival, it's trained at a young age. Teach the children, teach them how to have church, teach them that it's okay to tarry in the presence of God. Teach them how to be present when the spirit of the Lord is there. Whenever they start crying and whining don't just immediately rush them out the door but let them feel the presence of Almighty God. Let them tarry in a place where God's presence is present. That way when they get to be teenagers they tarry in the altar for a little bit longer. We're not sitting there after five minutes saying come on pray with me a little bit longer. Come on I'm begging you to stay in God's presence. They know how to do it. Can I get an amen? I want To see in every one of our churches, Brother D'Amico, I want to see young people on fire for God, but more so than even my ministry, I want to see this one succeed and grow and be on fire, because if it does, I don't have a whole lot to worry about, and neither the one that comes after me. So if that is your vision, that is your purpose, let me just give you four things that I think are helpful. I don't have it all together, not perfect, as I said earlier, and I know that I stand between you and lunch, and obviously you can see me, I don't miss meals often, so I promise you I'm not going to stand in your way. Children transitioning to youth, whether they admit it or not, there's a level of excitement, but there is a little bit of fear. They're stepping into something that they're not aware of. In in their estimation, I'm going to kill myself on this thing. Let me come over. No, 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 you're good, you're good. I'm just going to come over here. In their estimation, they are looking at this like, man, I'm I'm going to hang out with the cool kids. Everything's going to be wonderful and great, et cetera, et cetera. They have no idea, at least for our youth group, when they hit the youth group, there's a ton of responsibilities. There's a new way of acting. There's a new way of being. And it is overwhelming, the first class that they come into. We're going to talk about how to kind of circumvent that later on. But one of the biggest things, number one, one of the biggest things that you can do is be an involved parent. Everybody's a parent. Everybody's a teacher that has kids in their deal. They have parents, right? Involved parents do a lot of different things, all right? Involved parents, number one, you put that youth pastor at ease. Can I be honest with you? Brother Brian is so cool, he won't, he won't ever admit it, but I'll admit it for him. Because, I, I mean, at the end of the day, here it is. He, he's the exception of the rule. He can, he can get anybody and teach anybody. But I know Brother Michael was my youth pastor. I know Brother Michael was freaking out when I joined the youth ministry because this wild, crazy kid was coming, and he didn't know how to handle him. Right? Right? This wild, crazy kid was going to show up, and he was accustomed to teaching 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds. Now he's got to teach this crazy 13-year-old who's wild and nuts and wants to be in everything. You know what? We were fortunate in that that is my older cousin, so he knows me a little bit. He also knows my mother. But now (laughs) he knows my mother, and that goes multiple ways, Elder, multiple ways, right? But here's what happens. When you have a parent that is involved, now all of a sudden that youth pastor can come to you as the parent and begin to work with you during that transition. That I'll go back to the child. That child is excited and scared at the same time. If they see mom and dad working with that youth pastor, even if they have a bad day in class, underneath it all, they understand there is a relationship between mom, dad, youth pastor and pastor that they are trying to make this transition as best as possible. They may not always say it, right? But that is the underlined trust that's starting to happen. If that child sees you as the pastor or you as the parent working with the pastor, guess what it does? There's a little bit of trust that begins to form automatically. Why? The child sees mom and dad working with the youth pastor, they must be okay. Parents, your involvement is everything. Bible quizzing. How many have ever tried Bible quizzing? It's a little plug for Bible quizzing. How many have ever tried? I mean really, get your hand up. How many have ever tried Bible quizzing? Okay. How many were successful? <laughs> I'm really He's Like, oh, oh, oh. there's a reason for that. Parents are not involved. Bible quizzing is not successful. That's any and Sister Seth. Am I right, Brother Beardsley? Am I right? If parents are not involved, Bible quizzing is—it's almost doomed to not be successful. Not only because it takes a parent. I was a quizzer, I know. My mom cried many a night trying to get me to learn my scripture verses. There is an element in which the discipline is not quite there yet for somebody that's starting the transition. And so mom and dad have to be present. There's a security in saying, this is what you have to do. This is what you're being told to do. And as they transition, there's still that set of rules that says, hey, I need to start acting this way or I need to start taking a little more responsibility. I need to be a little bit better. Just something to think about. The second thing, that youth pastor does a lot in your church, no doubt. One of the things that really helps when you're an involved parent is if you're a chaperone. I can tell who worked in youth ministry by the amens I just got. I can tell. Folks, at the end of the day, you simply being present to chaperone and be involved does multiple things. One, we talked about that trust factor. Mom and dad, they're here. They're, they're Hopefully, they're not on top of me. We'll talk about that too, but they're a little bit further. They're, there's a trust factor there. They're involved. They're here. They're committed to it. So it's more than just simply you just showing up and being present, but it's an awareness for that child. Hey, they're here. It's okay. They might be on the other side of the sanctuary. They might be in my room at night, but they're here and they're present and they're involved. That means the world to the youth pastor. It means the world to that child that's there. Okay. So let me ask you this question. I've given just a couple ideas, but the question that I'm going to ask you is this. If you're a parent, you've been involved, you've done this before What are three ways? I promise I'll shut up if you can get me three ways, real quick. Three ways that you as a parent can be more involved in that transition. What are three ways that you could, I said chaperoning, that was one. How about holding events at your house? To my sister's credit, she's, she's done this a few times. She's got three olders, three that are Older, and they're about ready to move out into the hyphen where I get them. And then she's got two babies that are just now starting to hit the youth group. One of the things that she did was say, hey, you know what? I got a big house. Come here. Host your event here. Okay? So I've given you hosting events. I've given you chaperoning. What else can you do? Brother Brian, what else can a parent do to help out? Brittany, sister, oh, oh, brother Cornette. I think it's important to be supportive of the pastor in general,
4: which is it's not that undercut, it's not undercut. That- right. sure but I'm going to
3: be right huge yes. huge it, it, it really that really really is supporting the youth pastor absolutely brother cornet thank you excellent Brother Holland, you had your hand up? Right,
0: And I think, and I'll let
3: educators jump in on that because they're a little bit smarter than me by far. Um, but I think there is a way to do that in which you can incorporate the parent and help that child become everything that God's called them to be. Folks, at some point, they're going to have to be bold and step out. In life in general, we're taught this, even outside of the church. You have to be bold and learn to step out. And so, yes, sir. Sure. First thing that I would do right off the bat, and, and I think you guys have done this and it's worked to perfection, get kids to start in small groups. So instead of slamming them out in front of the church right off the bat, they have a youth class. I'm assuming they have a youth class, right? Get them up in front of their youth class for a fiery five. And, and we label that a little incorrectly too, fiery five, like I have to bring the thunder. But, but folks, I mean, even if they got up for two minutes and spoke on a verse... You're beginning the process of having them start. Sister Brittany... Right. That and that is so true. So, so I'm going to tell. There's a young man, and I, there's a young man. I won't say who they are, but I, I, I beg them, please. They were going to be testifying a little bit later, and I know this young person, so I'm like, please write it out, please. I beg you, write it out. And they get up there, and there's no notes. I see them walk out without none. Because at some point, they think they know more than you do. Like, and it's true. I, there's at Folks, at 31, I still have those moments where I'm like, my parents, I know more than you. Yeah. I have been humbled greatly, I promise. The, the, the Lord is very good at humbling you. So now I'm like, please just invest in me, I beg you. You know, so there are those moments. I promise it comes back around. But I will say this: coaching them, taking I listen. I know you can. I know you can get up. You can probably knock this out of the park. You can do it better than me, Jack. But for my sake, can you write it down? Save it because you know what. In the end, what you're doing is helping them save embarrassment. Can I just share a personal story with you? There was one time I got a little too cocky in my abilities to present. I was probably about 15. Brian, you remember it was chapel service? He, he's laughing because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. It was that bad, okay? 14, 15 years old, I had not really prepared the way that I needed to chapel, and I didn't hold what chapel really was. There, the, the, the importance was lost on me because I had just always done that, gotten up and had been able to do that. Folks, God knows how to humble the proud. And it got to a point where I got up and I went, and nothing. It was like my brain shut off, everything shut off. You never want them to get to that place ever. It will destroy them, I promise you. Coaching them, and that actually starts fifth, sixth grade. If you're a teacher of a younger, start coaching them. Start having them get up in front of the class so that when they do get to that place, it's not awkward for them. What you're doing is taking away all the awkwardness that they would normally have in a youth class. Very good. I saw some hands up elsewhere. Yes, ma'am. These were unchurched to you. is overwhelming. You expect me
1: to do this this and this for me to fit in. Where if you take them outside of the building, right. and love on them and do something, quotes, fun but an outreach.
3: Sure. You get a hold of them, yeah. And some of those kids are still wondering. Yeah. It it because it meant so much to them, which kind of ends that point too. As an involved parent, it's you're involved. If you're involved, you're inv- what you, what are you doing? You're creating community. You're creating community. Um, You've often heard the tale, it takes a village to raise a child. It absolutely does. There's a reason it's existed for so long. And part of that is if you create a community that they feel safe in, they can grow, they can learn to make mistakes, and it's okay. You want them to be bold, and you want them to be able to do everything that God has called them to do. Part of that is they're going to minister, and sometimes even in ministry, they're going to make mistakes. Do they have a support system of involved parents that says, hey, man, I know what happened, but you knocked it out of the park today. I love you. Or do they feel comfortable in even saying, here's some growth areas for you? Did that step, I hope that didn't step one. Because here's the thing. We hand out a lot of participation trophies now in the kingdom of God. That's a wonderful thought. But at the end of the day, we're, we're training people to do ministry and be ministry-minded. I don't want you just to show up. I want you to be effective. Yes. And so there are going to be moments in which they're being crafted and they're being told, hey, here's a growth area for you to work on. So as an involved parent and as an involved set of parents and teachers, do they feel comfort in that? Sister Lugo. Absolutely.
1: 100%.
4: 100%.
3: 100%. That, that hits the last point as far as involved parents goes. Part of that is, and this is actually more for the teachers that teach that 5th, 6th grade level. <laughs> for us, this is what I have found to be true and successful. And if you have something different, you tell me. If you are willing to journey with a child through and not just hand them off to the next level, but have a hand here and a hand here, typically what happens is you create an unbreakable chain of success, one generation to the next. Part of what happens and the safety that you just talked about is if you are teaching fifth and sixth grade. Or whatever the case may be, and we'll talk about that later, how you break up your age groups and things of that nature. But if you are the teacher that is, quote unquote, handing youth off, don't just hand them off. Right? Uh, Brother Brian, I would just say this. I don't think you would mind if somebody that's teaching, Josh and Lena, I think, teach that preteen group. I don't think you would mind if they showed up at a youth event to help. You see my point? Number one, transition becomes a little bit easier. Okay. Involve parents, involve teachers, things of that nature. You're fostering a community in which they now feel safe. They feel empowered to be able to do what God's called them to do. Does anybody have any questions on that? Involve parents, involve teachers. Yes, ma'am. I was just gonna say one more thing. Yes. Help with fundraisers. Help with fundraisers. Yeah. So, so as a, right as youth president, right? This is touchy for me. <laughs> but, but why not? I'll jump out there. Um, so so here's, so here's the thing, too. Some of my fondest memories, and if you, don't, if you don't do that, that's not your thing, then just tune me out for the next two minutes. I come from a home missions church. We had to fundraise. like It wasn't an option. We were fundraising because we were a home missions church. Some of my fondest memories of doing ministry is not behind a pulpit. It's in front of an Ames at a hot dog sale. Car washes. We were were raising money for our building fund and we were talking to people at the same time. So as how old were Brian, how old were we? Eight or nine? We're witnessing to people that are going in and out of Ames. So we're raising money for our building program. We're learning to witness. We're learning what it means to be in ministry in the kingdom of God. We, We have this misconception that ministry is pulpit. That's about 2% outside of these four walls. We're empowering them to go beyond these four walls and be the church to the world, right? So fundraising is a big piece of it. It it takes money to do those programs and do those things. So that's two. Let me get one more, just one more suggestion.
4: Then I'll, I'll move and then Sister Leela I'll move on after Sister Leela.
3: So I, I'm jumping. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. That's point three for it, and I'll touch on it a little bit more. But I'm a firm believer in what I would call teen ambassadors, welcoming to the youth group. Here, here's the reality: kids look up to older kids. It's a point of life. I, I know I did. End of story. Right. So you might as well utilize your youth group in incorporating them in. I'm thinking immediately. I'm thinking of. Jacob, which which cracks me up. He loves, for those who are familiar with some of our, our young people, Jacob is one of the kids that are coming into our youth group. Um, <clears throat> he loves Jordan and Jared. Like they are, he's like, oh, I want to hang out with them. And now he's in the youth group, so he gets to do that. Part of Jordan and Jacob's job, their responsibility now, and you don't, I will preface this by saying, you do not hand that responsibility off lightly. You as a youth pastor or youth worker, you should be walking in the spirit. You should be discerning spirits and knowing this is a safe person to do this job under, under leadership. it got to be under leadership, overseeing. But with the watchful eye of parents, that's also why you have to be involved, folks. Under the watchful eye of parents, under the watchful eyes of pastors and youth pastors, Jordan and Jared are absolutely welcoming him into the youth group and showing him this is how we do things. Does that make sense? Anytime you show, how many, how many have ever gotten a new job? Wasn't it nice for somebody to kind of show you the ropes? Show you how things are done? Every youth group has a different culture. Every single one. And they're leaving a culture to a new one. Their, their class, fifth preteen class, different than youth class they show up and all of a sudden the rules change. It's nice to have somebody to show them. So I think it does twofold. Brother Cornett. number one, you're teaching your younger people, you have a responsibility to engage them and help them spiritually grow and mature as we have done with you. You're passing that down. You're training them to do that. And I think it brings along that young person and it helps them a little bit better to incorporate into the youth. Sister Leela, I'll, I'll stop with you. I know that you had your hand up. Yes, ma'am. So, so I'm going to add to that and then I'll move on to the next point because I'm quickly running out of time. Um, You were a UGST student, Brother Littles. Is there anybody? I mean, no offense to you. I'm just kidding. I I purposely avoided him. Um, He he was a hard professor, he was super hard. Brother. (laughs) Just being himself, and we're thankful for that. Brother Littles so different in the way that he preaches, but I remember his sermons. He doesn't get up and do what we would term a fiery five where his hand is doing this number. You probably forgot the last message you ever heard me preach, right? Brother Littles, there's, there's messages I remember for months after, and it's, and it's very still. He's very calm. You know, so sometimes he gets a little excited and the hands will come up and it's a little bit different. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah everybody's different. Encourage your young person to be who they are in Christ because that's what God wants you to do. So yes, I I tap into that fully, 100%. And find out what that is. And in order to do that, you have to spend time with them figuring that out. I'm going to stay down here if that's okay with you. Um, The next that I have down, the second thing is follow transition guidelines. Follow transition guidelines. I put this down for a couple of different reasons. Number one, do you even have a set of rules that dictate it's okay for this student to come up to youth? It's okay for this student to to participate. Do you have a set of guidelines for transition? A quick yes or no? I'm seeing. The reason, yeah, we, we do, yeah, for sure. The reason I say that is because you would actually be shocked. There are a lot of churches that don't. As children are coming through, it's an it's a, it's a on, on-term basis, right? You're going to run into a ton of problems doing that. Take it from someone who has grieved over it and cried over it, right? I'll give you an example. Two people, and it, and it happens to actually be something more in my, in my line. Some of you separate it by age. So if you are 12 and up, 13 up, you're good to go. Some of you separate it by grade. If you're sixth grade, you don't get to go in. Can I tell you, some 13, 12 and 13 year olds make it to seventh grade and some of them don't. So what do you do? Sally's best friend is in sixth grade and Sally's in seventh grade. You caught it. So what happens is we have a tendency, and especially if you are a smaller church, a tendency to just pull Sally's friend up with the rest. There are exceptions to the rule. I will, I'll open it for that. And of course, you as a pastor, or you as a youth leader, whatever the case may be, you know, and this is, I'm just throwing it out there for your knowledge. Having a transition policy saves hurt feelings. If you put a policy in place ahead of time, you are going to have less chance for a parent being offended with you. And I have watched parents walk out the door with their child, whom you love, for less. We hate to think of it like that, but folks, my job is to limit the amount of possibility for error and offense. And if putting a policy in place does that, I'm going to do it. For, for us, our policy is great now. It didn't always used to be. I don't, I don't think it was. I think at one time it was age. We have switched it over time, but there is always a policy in place that we can point to. I'm going to go back to the, the example of Sally because it's easy. Sally moves on to the teen group. Sally's best friend stays down below. Sally's mom really wants Sally's friend to jump up. She wants her daughter to go to the youth group. They're best friends. They hang out together. It makes perfect sense. Putting a policy in place ensures that you never take a child that's not ready for the jump and throw them in there. We like to think that perhaps we know and we understand that that child is always ready to make the jump. They're expecting to make that jump. Some of them aren't. So while Sally and her friend might be really tight, it may be to Sally's friend's advantage to stay in that group another year. You never really know. But having that policy in place, it ensures you're not going to get blamed for something. Because you know what? When it comes down to it, I can point to the policy and say, before this ever happened, there was a policy in place. Not me. I'm sure you're right. But here's the policy. Folks, if you do this, you're going to save a great amount of offense. If you have it in place, great. If not, I encourage you to do so. And I'll, I'll certainly get to that. I'm going to tap into what a few policies are here so that you can write it down. And if you don't have one, you can take it home with you. Parents sometimes, and, I, and, and so please forgive me, I'm a parent of five months. I know, I know nothing. <laughs> OK? So I'm already telling you I know nothing. I'm coming from the stage of know nothing right? I'm Schultz. I know nothing, I see nothing. But at the end of the day, I can already tell, man, I, I'm a sucker. That, that little girl's got me. And there would be a moment, I'm sure, where she'd be like, Dad, please, can I go? And I'd be like, Psh. what does hinder do?" She might need protection from me. Right? Part of it is understanding that while you do have the best intention for your child and you want them to be the best, or maybe that parent wants them to be the best, each one grows a little bit differently and does things a little bit differently, and a policy in place ensures we don't overstep it, whether it's a teacher, pastor, or parent. Please, please, please put a transition policy in place. And then also have policies in place when you're there. I'm going to open the floor. Does anybody have a policy in place that they would like to share? Maybe with somebody who doesn't have this. Yeah. they didn't and cheapen it. nobody were 2
1: away from being It might sound harsh as an adult, but as a kid it was really important to me. I had been I, had, I sat there at that window for hours and watched the
3: Yeah. Yeah. Down the road. I understand that? True, very true. Anybody else? So I have a sure. This, um, this kind
1: of separates the boundary between youth and Sunday school, though, because I know that lots of times Sunday school <coughs> goes by grade level, but sometimes mm-hmm.
3: should they coincide, or is it okay? Which is a discussion that each church should have for themselves. Each is different. I just got done telling you, there were some years we went by age. We've switched to go by grade. Yes, sir. And one of the things that we're trying to bring to mind here
4: is that churches have the youth group at the Sunday school, and it has to happen for a healthy body. Yeah. That, that right. Right. So
3: And also the point that I'm also making to that too, we're not separate and autonomous, by the way. And you're right to your point. You're absolutely, we treat it as if it's two different things. They're still a part of Sunday school and the feed to that is from children's Sunday school. Okay. So there does have to be discussion. To answer your question, yes, each church has to separately discuss what that means for them. The mold that I give you for grades may not work for where you're at. But having a policy in place will save you heartache and pain. Anybody else? Thoughts? Excellent. I'm going to move on to the next point. Here's the next one. And this goes to what Brother Cornette was talking about earlier. Presenting team ambassadors. Folks, most our youth group now, it's comprised, Brittany if I'm wrong, correct me, mostly are 15. Are they in that range? 14, 15? and then a couple older, okay? We're teaching, I, and it goes back to what I'm saying earlier. When they get to us, we're teaching them how to do ministry. We're teaching them how to disciple others. You catch the word that I used. I use it intentionally, disciple others. Part of that is having an awareness that you are responsible for the body of Christ. I don't know, maybe churches are different. In our church, one of the the hardest things that I preach, we're the body of Christ. You are responsible to each other. Be aware of what somebody's going through. Pray for them. Be involved with them. Help them to spiritually grow. That doesn't change because they're a youth group. You should be taught from youth up. You're the body of Christ. You're responsible for one another. How does a teen ambassador help you do that? Well, when these kids are transitioning into that, again, they're probably a little timid, probably a tad scared, right? They won't admit it. They'll just show pure excitement and, oh, I'm here, I'm cool. But secretly on the inside, they're looking for an older child to validate their presence there. If that doesn't happen, there's a possibility that there's a little bit of ostracization occurring, if that's a word. Is that a word? Help me out. Ostracization. Did I just make it up? Is that a Seussism? Yes. Uh, Theodore Geisel is one of my heroes. So at the end of the day, if the 14-, 15-, and 16-year-olds are on one side of the room and the 12-, 13-year-olds on the other side of the room, do they feel included? I'm hearing no. That's, that's my thought. Right? What happens when you walk into a place for the first time? You don't know anybody? Let's let's make it real to where we are today. Right? We might be adults, but we like to know people. I do. I, I'm to the point where if I don't know somebody, I'm gonna find somebody, I'm gonna make sure I know them. That way I'm not alone. I hate to be alone. This church has a wonderful tradition, one that I've started incorporating in mind. You didn't know. I'm always watching, Uncle Stephen, always. This church has a wonderful tradition. When you walk in, before you really, I mean, as as the service is going along, you are going to get up and you are going to greet with people. Guess what? Even though I call this my home away from home, at the end of the day, it's still nice to have somebody walk over and shake my hand. I'm not here every Sunday. I don't know the stories. I don't know everybody. It's nice to be appreciated, loved, valued. Those are the base feelings of acceptance. I'm loved. I'm valued. Okay, I feel safe. I feel good. This is a place I want to be. If that is not being done, and it happens week after week after week, they're going to go and look for another place to feel loved, valued, and appreciated. Chances are they're going to look for it in school. They're going to look at it with school friends, and they're going to look for it sports, different things. And I'm not preaching against sports, folks. I love sports. If you know me, you know I do. But you know what? It's not like when I played ball. All right? I'm just, I was just talking to my little cousin, and some of the things that, that uh, happen in a football team now, some of the things they say and do, my Lord, man, it's different than when I played. Why? Because they're looking for culture, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for belonging. They can only get so much of that from the teacher. The parent, listen, I said you have to be involved, you do. But you know what? If you are the parent of a teenager, you know. There's sometimes they're like, I love you, but... And so, if the parent is, and the teacher is, where are they going to get it? They're going to get it from another young person. Now, here is where I think you have to walk in the spirit. We've had had youth groups that were five. We've had youth groups that were, Brother Snelson, 30 at one point, 35. Yeah, 30, 35, of which... The current leadership was a part of. So it's important. You better know that you're not just assigning anybody to your children that are up and coming. If our fifth and sixth grade teachers have poured their guts into these children, I don't want some little bratty, and I'm speaking as a pastor now, I don't want some bratty 14-year-old not living for the Lord, showing them the ways of the world. My Sunday school teachers have poured too much time into them. I, as a pastor, have prepared and poured too much time. I don't want some bratty 14-year-old showing them the ways of the world. Be aware of the current landscape of your class and who comprises it. If they're not in the altar praying, I probably don't want them being the ambassador. If they're not showing up to Bible study... Does that mean that that's a priority for them? Now, you got to make that decision for yourself, but that's the question I start asking. If you're looking for criteria of who should be an ambassador, and you would be surprised. Sometimes it's the kids that you least expect that are the ones that are sold out. Folks, I want a sold-out generation. I want a generation of young people that are sold out. And at the end of the day, it does start with the kids coming in. And so if they're shown, hey, we live a sold out lifestyle. I want to be in church. Again, they tag with cool kids. I want to be like that kid. I want to be like Jordan. I want to be like Jared. And Jordan and Jared are always at prayer meeting. Jordan and Jared are always talking about fill in the blank, okay? You see what I'm saying, right? Is that pick those kids very carefully and be very prayerful over it. I will also say this. I said pick kids. Sometimes it just kind of happens. If kids are ministry-minded, most of the time you'll see, hey, do you want to do this with me? Those kids will find them. It's really quite amazing. They only ever have to be prompted a few times. I've only ever had to say to our young people, this goes back Brother Cornett, I've only ever had to say to our young people a few times, what are you, what are you doing? Up there? Go pray with somebody else. Go pray. Just because you're young doesn't mean you can't pray for somebody. Go pray for somebody else. So a small little prompting, and you'd be amazed at what they can do on their own. Look for that boy, that girl, and of course I say boys with boys, girls with girls. I think that goes without being said. I hope. But at the end of the day, you're looking for that one that's focused on, I want to be at church. I want to be involved in the things of God. If there's a Bible study, I want to be there. Right? Does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions, concerns, thoughts, examples? Who you pair with your kids really does make a difference. I'm going to share a very personal story before I move on to the next one. So I'm just going to be very transparent and open with you. Is that all right? Can I just be open and honest with you? I'm here because it's the grace of God. Only by the grace of God am I here. There was a moment in my life where I picked the wrong set of friends and got into the wrong kind of trouble. Yes, I still went to church. Yes, I still sat on the pew. Yes, I did all the right things, supposedly. But I had found a group of friends outside of church that contended for my affections. And the problem was that I didn't make any attachments with friends that cared for the things of God. It wasn't like some of them didn't go to church either, by the way. Some of them did. But like spirits, do attract. Folks, I'm telling you, it took a while for me to get back to serving the Lord. And it was the grace and mercy of God that I did. I'm standing here open and transparent before you today. I never want another young person to go through that phase again, Amen. if I can help it. So, in order to prevent that from happening, parents, you've got to be involved. You've got to be involved. And the young people that you're with create space and opportunity for them to be involved with the things of God. I'm here as youth pastor or youth president, so I'm going to throw this out there. This next year is going to be crazy with events. I promise I'm getting that schedule out. But it's going to be crazy with events. If your church is smaller, because I come from a small church, I know what that's like, folks... Grab that friend and come to a district event. Get them involved and get them around people that love God, care about the things of God. But here it is, show that you can have fun in the presence of God. Because that was my misconception. I had the best youth pastor in the world. And I still say that to this day. And thankfully, he he stayed with me and helped me. For that, I'm always thankful. But folks, creating a space and place where those relationships can be had in the safety of God's presence, so important. Any questions, thoughts, concerns? Yes, ma'am.
1: Sure. And probably wished sure. I wouldn't come back every Wednesday night. Sure. Know? My parents weren't involved in the church. I rode the band. Rode the band. But somewhere along the line, all of those seeds, all of those scriptures, all of those stories, um yes, they planted in my heart. You know? Yes, ma'am. And when it was the right time, you know, God called my name and it was loud and clear. So we can't give up on those that seem difficult, no. those that are the ones that are a lot of trouble to to bring to the youth events. We can't be ashamed that we have some of those in our groups when we go to the events and all the other churches seem to have really... you
3: know, For sure. And and that's the point that I want to make too on top of that because I was the polished kid. No, I wasn't. Just because we have polished kids on the outside, it's about the heart. The Bible says he knows the thoughts and content of the heart. I want people that are spirit-filled, godly-minded, focused on the Lord. So yeah, it's not what they look like on the outside. It's on the inside that counts. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
4: see them as for uh, especially yeah. in your it's like we have a bus ministry 100%. We're able to relate to other kids and, and I don't want to. Say. I struggle with it. My wife and I struggle. We want to make sure our kids are okay and they're not going to be infiltrated by the world But I believe in everything that you've presented to us is we in their lives and we have to stay close to them. Yeah. But not be afraid, not be overcome by fear. Right. But the love of Christ I really thank you when these kids. However, just like Sister Lil's. Right, to right.
3: I want to, and I want to touch on that real quick too, because you never, you never know. My, my. So when I was the kid that wasn't doing right, when I was the kid that was just. Mayhem and craziness. He's not here, but I I do say this to honor him. Brother Brian was my best friend. Brother Brian faithfully did what was right. Because there was a pastor's son that was hurting. A pastor's son that was going through a pretty difficult time in his life. But because his best friend kept doing what was right. Best friend helped save my life. So, at the end of the day, he wasn't just an ambassador for young people coming in. He was an ambassador for me. Here I am. Thank God for spirit-filled young people that love God. Last thing, and then I'm going to turn this thing over. I said I'm preventing you from lunch. I don't miss lunch. So, we're, we're going to make that happen. This one's for the pastor's. This one is for the pastors and pastors' wives. Nothing replaces you. There's something really comforting. And I'm finding this to be true. I was taught this, but it's true. There's nothing more comforting than when you're in the middle of Sunday school class, your pastor opens the door, you see his smiling face or her smiling face, Yes, ladies are pastors too. Nothing beats them opening that door and saying, hey, I just wanted to stop by and check on y'all. How y'all doing today? Everybody well? Folks, nothing beats it. Pastors, it does make a difference when you are involved as well. Brother D'Amico Bringing your young people, that did not go unnoticed by me. Faithfully bringing your young people to events. I don't know, if I'm a young person, my pastor's doing that, that means a lot to me. Brother Cornette, Brother Holland showing up in that van. I always know who's going to be sitting in the driver's seat of that van. It's going to be Brother Holland. Brother and Sister Wynn. Folks, keep your pastor in prayer. Keep your pastor in prayer. He needs it. She needs it. But then on top of it, help them as they are involved with your young people. Encourage them as they try to encourage your young people and be present for them and be an example of the believer for them. And pastors, every once in a while, this is my last thing and I'm done. I'll hand it back over to you. Stop by the class every once in a while. Every once in a blue moon, see if that youth pastor will let you speak. Because your voice in their life really does make a massive difference. I hope that was helpful. Any, any questions, concerns, thoughts, recommendations? Sister Seth? Yes, ma'am.
1: Okay. We had recently um, had to make a decision our young 13-year-olds sure. and our youth before, the age gap is just too big to move
3: them up. I see. The okay. Um, and there was, you know, that was a decision. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. I
1: don't know
3: whether or not that was... Maybe they could have stepped up. You as a pastor, when you, make the, when you make that decision, you make it with the hope that it is absolutely the best decision? I understand that. Trust me, I do get that. I, I think I look at it like this. We, there, were, there were moments we didn't operate with guidelines. I, I, we ran into multiple problems where it was one parent... As soon as we let it happen and one parent did complain... It was, it was like that it was the precedent that was set. And then every parent after, well, you did it for them, so you did it for them. And we just ran into that too much as our youth group grew. There are pros and cons to it. At the end, it's for the safety of the pastor and the safety of those that are teaching and doing, doing that. So right, wrong, indifferent, I would say, it, it almost actually even sounds like you do have a policy. At one point, it was age that seemed to be that. So it is, in a, in a way, a policy. This is why I sit down, and this is just my recommendation. Take it for what it is, just a grain of salt. What we actually ended up doing was we didn't individually sit down and sit down with our youth pastor. We took the age before, we took the current youth, and then hyphen. All three of them, because remember I talked about that chain, right? The one before, the one after. We sat down and we had a discussion. What does transition look like? From them to here and from here to here, what does that look like? What do you do with age? To your point, there's a young lady, won't mention her name, there's a young lady that we have. She currently does not have a driver's license, just got a job, I believe is 19 years old, has not graduated college, or hasn't graduated high school. What do you do with that? Can't, you know, policy dictates graduate high school to get into the hyphen. So, what you know, you kind of look at that and do whatever. Each, each case will offer its unique challenge. I think that's why you have to sit down with the teachers of the previous and the teachers after and say, what do you think? There's wisdom and counsel, godly counsel. So I, that would be my suggestion to that. And, and we've changed, by the way, we've changed our policy a few times. I mean, it stays consistent for a while. We're not just like, today we feel like, because then you don't have a policy, right? If If your policy changes every 30 days, you don't have a policy, right? very thorny. It's amazing how quick And, and I'll throw, I'll throw, so I 100% agree with what you're saying. Like, that's, yeah, for sure. That's, that's pretty accurate. And I bet you, you didn't have a problem the next time you tried to start it up either. Oh, no. Right. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing how, yeah, yeah. It <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right, right? You had a ton of teen ambassadors then, right? Um, the flip side to that, too, is we've, like, with our youth now, we've got some young ones that are coming in. They're, they're young. I mean, they're, <laughs> and they're, you know, they're, they're a little wild and, cra- I mean, the maturity level or whatever, kind of the expectation is you 14, 15, you know what it's about. I, we treat our young people like they're a little bit older because we want them to aspire and move towards something that's a little bit older. So one of the things that we do is we look at a 15, 14, 15 year old and say, okay, you set the tone for how this class is going to go. Sometimes that doesn't always work out well, but for the most part with this group, it does. So those kids moving in, when they sit down in that class, they know if I want to hang out with this crew, I want to be with this crew, I better start cleaning it up. It, it has worked. I say that very tentatively. I'd knock on every piece of wood if I was superstitious and everything else in between because as soon as I say it, we'll have havoc. But I make that point, is that sometimes when you set that bar up and you say, listen, this forget me, them, they're not going to tolerate that mess. It it changes a few things. Yes, sir. Elder, I'll pass it to you, and then you had something you wanted to say? Pass on that one. It is is lunchtime, and I just told you that I wasn't going to do that. So, thank you.
0: Praise God. Big picture, we're a body. Every church has its own situations, your situations are your situations. Uh, you, We have to work as a youth, as a team with the pastoral staff. So I hope that you have some ideas to go home and, work, and, and have a meeting with the staff to implement some of these ideas. And, and if you have those policies, can they get those from you if they don't have policies and... Yeah, so, absolutely. And it's not like I, I, said, I said what I said because, folks, they are for changing. Like I said, we don't change. Yeah, but just so that they have an example to write from, it's just something, an idea. So, so, good stuff. We're going to go to lunch here. Pastor Beardsley, would you come up so we can bless the food? I have to warn you, when you get back from lunch... I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about this afternoon. My goal is to challenge you and your ministries. Um, God's going to do some wonderful things. So be ready for that. Uh, Right now, though, we're going to eat.
5: All right. Why don't we stand? As as soon as I finish praying, as soon as we finish praying, you're going over across the parking lot to the white metal building. Do not try to go into the house. The raccoons have taken that place over, literally. Literally. You say, why don't you tear it down? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, as soon as we tear it down, we lose that building footprint, which is probably what's going to happen. However, I don't want to tear it down until the point that is because we're landlocked right now. So you pray for us in that. Um, but the second is it costs a little bit of money to tear it down too. So, so just don't go in the house, all right? I have no guarantee what you're going to find in there, all right? Now, you probably have to break in to get in there, but still, don't go in the house. Go to the metal building, and that's where lunch will be. Let's join together and thank the Lord for this time together and also the food that we're about to partake of. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence in our lives, your blessings upon us. God, we are humbled by your provision of air, of life, and God, now the provision of food. Lord, we thank you, and we thank the children's ministry, Lord, for providing this for us, and we thank you and ask that you would bless our time together, bless children's ministry, Lord, bless the leadership, bless all of us who are working in your kingdom, and God, let what happens here over lunch be as spirit-led and as instrumental in all that this day holds for us. And I pray it and I bless your name, in Jesus' name, and everyone say amen.